The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it is your favorite Tuesday afternoon that you've had all week. Welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show where we have been. Uh, prepping extensively to share with you today. And then just before the show began, it totally went off the rails. It always does. So the one wonderful Uh, thing about our working relationship is we laugh a lot. Like I have told David numerous times that at some point I'm going to make him pay for Botox because I'm going to have really bad laugh lines from laughing so much. Like it's we have a great relationship and enjoy conversation. The, the work is fun. Right? It's, the work, the work is, fun. is fun. So, the, it's, so not my, a, it's not four-letter <laughs> word work. It's three-letter word work. So as part of our conversation today, but we're we're going to talk about want and need a little bit. But David and I were talking about want and need, and I I don't well, know. It started with pens. <laughs> started- you have to understand. So this is, you're, I'm going to share with you all the saga of the pen. <laughs> the, okay? There's if, a saga now. There's a saga. If, if you, so for, uh, for folks who have been to our office, they actually get this, right? We have cool pens. We do. Okay. Logoed pens with our name uh, yeah. on it. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. we have logoed pens and people love to come and take them. Right. Okay? And you know who's the worst? Your children. My kids. <laughs> yeah. My children are always trying to take the pens. And I've been sort of regrouping them at home and I've got like 50 of them or something oh, to bring back to the office. That's well, funny. The, the pens, so they're, it's not that they're amazing pens. Okay. They're... They're you, novel. The, uh, it's they're, fine. They have a little stylus on the tip, and you twist them to to turn on the writing mechanism. You know, yeah, uh, and they're kind of a shiny green, like polished shiny Which green, which stands out because a lot right. of pens are gray. Right. So they're you know they look cool, but what really gets everybody is instead of where you normally click on the pen to to activate it, you know these pens you twist, you don't click because if you click. There's a flashlight. And it's a bright flashlight. Right? There's an LED light on the pen. So you're getting a pen flashlight combo, which is pretty awesome. To apparent, well, let's face it, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty <laughs> it's, awesome. I mean, it's not just my kids. We have lots of people that come by and they're like, ooh, can I take this? And yeah. we're like, That's adults are what just as for. fascinated. It has nothing to do with age. So we have, we're at the very bottom of our pen supply. And right. so. Here's the problem with the pen, and it's not a serious problem. This is a first world problem. <laughs> this is a David problem. <laughs> okay. The pens are not gel ink. And, and David... everybody knows that until you get into like really fancy pens and fountain pens and you know, you're picking out your own inks and your own quill sizes and so forth, until you do something like that, gel ink is really the deal. Gel ink's pretty awesome. Okay. You kind of converted me. Like I was all about the ball pen for a it long just time. It flows so well, and it it is. It sort of ad- it immediately adheres to the page, so it doesn't smear and go kooky. So it it it's really a great instrument. And we can't get the two combined. And yes, our pens are traditional at the ink, moment, and I want them to have gel ink in them. Right. It's a personal mission of mine to get these really <laughs> cool pens with gel ink. 
And we've just been unable to source a vendor that can pull this off, at least at a price point that makes sense, because I'm not going to give away $25 pens right. to anybody that walks in. I love you guys, honestly, but that's just bad business. Okay. Warren Buffett would like roll over. Well, I mean, he'd he wouldn't have to roll over in his grave. He, I didn't say in his grave. Around, I just said he he'd would, roll over. <laughs> he would give me a stern finger wagging, let me tell you. But the, so, so where we're going with this is we were talking about want versus need, and we talked about being a pen snob. So David has now officially become a pen snob, and I'm but, not too far on his heels because let me tell you, there are about my top three favorite pens, which happen to all be gel ink. And I know exactly which pen they are based on their feel. Like you could blind me and blind, like blind, <laughs> blind me, blindfold me. How about yeah. that? You could blind, do a blind you, I could a do a blind, blind field test, test and know exactly which pen is mine based on the way it feels and stuff. And so I am becoming a pen snob too. But we were talking about want versus need. And David was talking about very expensive pens because there are two, two $300 pens out oh, there. Oh, much more than that. You can spend thousands on pens. And then we were teasing about, well, there's Rolex or this or that. And Katie's comment is, you don't, it's because you can. I said, well, why does anybody get a pen like that? Because you can. Because you can. And, it's not necessarily and, because and you need and I, to. And I said, well, I don't, I don't need to do that. She says, yeah, but you can. I go, even if I can, I have three girls that are going to go to college. And so I. No, so uh, you said I would rather fund their college funds. I don't think I said I'd rather. I think I just said I have three I have kids three going to college, college. And you said was, you still can. I and still like, can. can and should are different. And then Katie <laughs> had to up the ante. I, well, because I said I would like to have a vehicle one day that my children Can do not ride, ride in. It. Now, that could be just about anything. And I said, so how many doors on this one? Two. Two, two doors, <laughs> two seats. I have three children. It, the math doesn't work, right? Like, there's no French fries on the floor. There's no eating in this vehicle. It's clean and it smells good all the time. And if you're a parent of many children... You understand. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. So we but that made was this why joke David... the other day. My kids, I swear, if we order French fries, I have my daughter in the back that's saying, one for me, one for you. And she's talking to the car. <laughs> so <God. laughs> just like, did you eat any of them? <laughs> why are they all? And how did you get it ground into the seat? <laughs> like that's, you had to work at that. <laughs> There's, I have some kind of pink substance that I still cannot identify. It's not bubble gum. But I, I, I want to say maybe it might be slime or something that it's came out of something. It's just a melted troll doll. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... So why are these things important? They are all our true wealth moments. They are all sure. what money can buy well, yeah. and the havoc that it wreaks when it does. There but... you go. There you go. <laughs> but... and, and, it's, and it's all about, you know, I have a dream, right? After, yeah. after yesterday, the MLK day, I have a dream that one day my car, too, will have fewer French fries <laughs> Out of a child's mouth, or in the child's mouth, and out of the child's mouth. Right? I mean, it's just—you know—it's bad when you go. I want the leather seats, not because they're nice, but because I can wipe the crap off of them easier oh, than cloth. I—I <laughs> I really think that that rhino coating for like the entire back of your car. I keep saying if they would figure out how to make one that could hose out inside and be dry in yes. minutes, like every mother would buy one. I know. In fact, better yet, if you could just put the hose. Like, like an attachment on the car and it just sprays on the inside and self-washes. I'm telling you, inventors out there, I'm giving you gold right now, okay? Just by gold. The way, just for, you know, just for laughs, just add like five more cup holders because there's never enough cup holders yeah, basically, in your car. The modern day minivan is just a really fancy cup holder with an engine. <laughs> 
Okay. We've so, gone way off the rails. Let's so, let's bring the show back, David. All right, we're going to bring it back today. What we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. Uh, first of all, I'm going to give you a really brief market update, which is today is the fourth day of the year where the markets did not finish up. What? Yes, you heard that right. It is currently the 22nd of January, which means we have had seven, well, what, 18 out of 22 days. Well, that's not really true because we had some weekends in there. But yeah, basically, uh, all, only four down trading days for the year. And the the low mark that we're measuring off of right now was Christmas Eve, if you can believe that. Christmas Eve of last year, the market slid and we had a rough fourth quarter, but that was the bottoming point, And the market has rebounded and been climbing since. Uh, in spite of government shutdown, trade issues with China, and uh, every manner of imaginable chaos that the uh, mainstream media will throw at us that says, it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. Ah. Uh, so far, it has yet to manifest as bad. Uh, growth is slowing, but the funny thing about it is that's still growth. Right. Right. So uh, the economies are still growing. Even China, people are like, oh, China, they're slowing down. Look, China has slowed down from 6.7% annualized GDP to 66 Yeah, so not really slowing. It's not a significant, it's still growth. Okay. Right? That's the key on this one. Now, does it impact things? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it has a real impact. But uh, we continue to, I say we, I think most financial professionals are still looking for a constructive resolution to the trade issues well trade war whatever you want to call it and uh, i'm just going to say the trade scenario that we have which because uh, we're not really at war yet but it's not, well i mean it's, it's a cold war concept but look trade war totally plays better in headlines way better i mean you're going to look at trade war before you look at trade situation right so true there you go uh, if it bleeds it leads <laughs> exactly so uh, and and then also the government shutdown and really what has become, uh, I just think uh, like a, a bunch of clowns with a greased watermelon or something. Uh, just like all right, what are we <laughs> going to do? That was a very bad visual. Thank you, David. I don't know what else to call it right now, but uh, everybody's sort of playing chicken with the other party. And uh, the problem when you get into negotiations where you know one you know somebody says I'm not going to do this, period, and then somebody else says, well, fine, neither am I. And then you get them saying, all right, I'll give you what you wanted. And the other person says, well, it's too late now. Now I want something different. Uh, and that's sort of where we're at. And that's that's just political theater. Like, let's just call it what it is. I mean, whichever side you are on right now, there's a whole lot of political theater. And it can be really popular to explain why your side is better than the other side. But and by the, the way, theater if, you're, be theater. if you're listening and your job is locked up right now, like we're sorry, we feel for you because oh yeah, that sucks. Like it's it's real, it's causing oh, it's, issues. There, I know that there really are real issues that are starting to manifest now. I mean, you're seeing loans that can't close because of uh, you know federal agencies that are linked to those loans. Right. Seeing uh, actually aircraft that can't get certification completed so that they can go into service to relieve certain uh, bottlenecks, and then you got of course the whole TSA issue and. Uh, so yeah, we're. I, I'm I mean, we really didn't cause it, but we feel for you. But <laughs> right, it's it, it is a real issue. I mean, it, this isn't a like, like haha, somebody's on strike. This is a. Yeah. How you do know. you do the experiment though? Of like, well, you know, let's just not have any security and let people just get on the plane and see what happens. I mean, people aren't going to do it. No. Right? But I don't know how much 
benefit we're getting for our tax dollar on TSA. My favorite comment right now is, if the government is shut down, do I have to pay taxes? Because <laughs> who's there to collect it? It's like, well, we're just kind of sending it in, hoping you'll open it and yeah. figure it all out. But Well, there are lots of favorites, like you know, people calling for the 28th Amendment or whatever. Oh, we goodness. Change this, any other. I got a real easy solution for you on this one, folks. Try this one on, and this is a true wealth solution for everybody in politics. I think you start by giving equal dollars for the voice, okay? If you can't take money out of politics, which you really can't, then do you give everybody the same voice? So you cap the amount of political contribution that anybody can make. And that means that George Soros has no more purchasing power than I do. Oh, that's interesting. And do you make it that everybody that makes a contribution for a U.S. election needs to be have a U.S. Social Security number? Well, be, that should be a be, real person. That actually should be. So if you consider those, and I know there will be some people out there that say, well, you know, but what about the business owner that has a right to spend their money where they want to and all that? I don't disagree that you have a right to do all those things. And you can mobilize and, you know, advertise and so forth for your business. But I think when you start paying for politicians, that's where we create oligopolies. And I, I will say this again. It's a wealth show and I can say this and this isn't politics. It's still my opinion, but it's a pretty valid one if you ask me, which is capitalism in and of itself is uh, unrestrained capitalism creates problems because it generates monopolies. So you need a certain amount, but the freer the market can be to foster healthy competition, the better off you are. And right. it, this works in healthcare. It works in uh your agricultural segments of the market. It works in all those different places. But when you when you make it only a handful of players that end up controlling everything, then unless you have the government try to come in and intervene, which is an unnatural restriction, right? you get monopolies. And so well, and you it, get collusion, right? Well, that's so we all agree to do well, something Well, that's what crazy. oligopolies do. When you start manipulating the supply and demand curve unnaturally, basically when you suppress the invisible hand of economics, then that's when the problem Isn't that what happened with the EpiPen? Isn't that something we talked about like two years ago on the show? The EpiPen thing was a classic example of price gouging, essentially. When there was no viable competitor, then all of a sudden you're the only game in town and you literally triple the cost. Well, at least double the cost of an EpiPen. Yeah. And in some cases it went from like, hey, I can get an EpiPen for $100. Now it's $800, right? Yeah. And you think about that and you go, well, Why? What did we just do? Well, we put in place government agencies that created so many barriers to entry for competition that we ran out of competitors. And then the only provider could name their price. That's scary, too. And it was a have to have, not a need nice to have. Yeah, this isn't like you know, Tylenol. Hey, my kid gets a bee sting and dies without it. Yeah. Okay, then you have to have it. And price stops being the factor because... Well, and there's an expiration point on it too, right? So this yeah. is something that you have to have like every year or right. something, every and other so year. That is the classic case of that's Oligopoly. a non that's a non natural market. No, that's a straight up monopoly when yeah. there was no viable alternative, uh, short of hey, you get a syringe and some uh, epinephrine, and you can actually you know stab yourself and give yourself a shot. So they're going to say, well, it was a delivery mechanism issue, okay? But you know all the various patents and things. Uh, that other people couldn't do derivatives on because I'm not saying the patent protection is the problem, but I'm saying that when you've got no other competitor can get into the market because it's way too expensive to get over the hurdle for regulation in the first place, what we did was we just created a regulatory moat. Okay, Something we've mentioned on the yeah, show before. Just like a castle has a moat to keep people out, 
certain organizations are actually in favor of it, regulations because it prevents competitors from being able to show up and lower prices. Right. So anyway, look, we're long on the first segment. We're going to get rolling here. When we come back, uh, you know, if you're wondering about savings accounts and why they're paying such terrible interest and what some better options might be, we're going to talk a little bit about that and more when we come back. So stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. So now, is there insurrection? Is that what I'm hearing? No. <laughs> Again, we like to keep Dave on his toes. He now has <laughs> two women in the office to give him trouble. I do. So I can share this story. This but is you're a used funny to, story. But you're used to women giving you trouble because oh you goodness. have a house full I have, of women. I am. God has a terrible sense of humor. <laughs> uh, you know, it, you know, some teenage male somewhere was thinking, you know, it would be great to be surrounded by women that adore me. And I, that is all true. Little did I know that it would be all of my daughters. So, <laughs> Aww, yeah. Uh, you were thinking Swedish bikini team. and <laughs> Yeah. That's, so <laughs> Missed So it. never let it be said that God does not have a sense of humor. My thing uh, is, never let it be said that you were not specific enough when you prayed about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you did know. not specify <laughs> what exactly you were looking for when well, you said women. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and the really the hilarious part of it all is that now when people say, well, are you going to try for that boy? And I said, well, so we're not is the answer. But uh, also, I don't know that I know what to do with I mean I have all daughters so right. like our, my entire life and history has now been geared to girls daughters yes so it's a whole different world than like well how do you throw a son into the mix I'm like I, I, I don't know I got nothing so uh, what I'm hoping for is maybe someday um, a son-in-law that kind of gets my plight and like occasionally it's kind of fun to hang out with his father-in-law and I'll be the cool father-in-law it'll be cool if you have three son-in-laws that you kind of bond with yeah and knows? like you totally get your own little little john clan back mm-hmm. with the boys but yeah, who we'll knows? see who knows so uh anyway look when we went to break i was telling you guys uh a little bit about savings accounts savings well so we're gonna go somewhere with this but i'm gonna i gotta tell you a story Okay, and really, it's probably not a story. It's more like, let me walk you through this situation. Okay. Uh, Katie, we've seen this like a million times in the last several years here. Okay. Because right now, if you want to go and put your money in a savings account, the rate of return is almost non existent. Yeah, it's really not impressive. It's gone up a little bit, but you're still talking, you know, maybe 1% a year or something like that. Yeah, not much. Maybe. So, CDs, same story. You know, you're looking at two, three-year CDs, and you're getting maybe two, two and a quarter, two and a half percent. Really, not great interest rate. And those, you look at ten-year Treasuries right now; they're barely three percent, right? So you think about if you could lock up your money for ten years and get paid a whopping three percent on it. And you can tell by my vocabulary that I'm using to describe it. I don't think highly of this return. So there, uh, I just Googled it really quick just to see kind of what the rates are right now. And it says the average savings account has a measly 0.06%. Yeah. Percent. Not 6%. 0.06%. 0. 0. Yeah. Annual percentage yield. And it said some of them as low as 0.01. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's like you're doing pretty good if you get 1%. Right. And you're doing that by going to an online only, no brick and mortar kind of environment. Right. Well, it's saying like the top ones, which are the online ones, are paying 2.3. Right. It's just not much there's just really not much meat on the bone uh -uh. and so what's happening is when folks come to financial professionals and say i really want to get this out and the other by the time you start paying for the fees associated with having the account uh, it's there's barely anything left if at all and so you find yourself going well so what do you do uh, then there's also another problem which is that interest rates have been rising and so first off rates are really low but if you go out and buy bonds to try to get a higher rate and then rates rise, there's an inverse relationship between bond yields and bond prices. So if rates are going right. up, prices are going down. Right. So you could actually lose principal in a bond if you needed to liquidate early when interest rates go up. So be careful. Right. And so what this has led our office to, and I'm not going to say this is representative of all financial firms by any stretch, but it led our office <coughs> to the realization that we weren't going to be able to generate significant customer returns using traditional fixed income mechanisms. You know, the, the banking and the bond markets weren't. They're just not producing much right now. They weren't going right to now. do it for us. So we had to look in other spaces. And so we looked in uh, the, the dividend paying stock landscape. We looked in the real estate landscape. We looked into uh, something that is a little bit more complex. It's still kind of a, an element of banking, but a little bit more in the uh, the the more fragile credit markets, right? But this would be uh, business development companies and so forth. And could you elaborate a little bit on that? Because you kind of skimmed over it really quickly, but um, many some listeners may not understand when you say credit markets or credit development or small business development. Yeah, so business development. So think about this as business development companies are often the companies that, uh, let's say you've got a, a small business that's been growing really quickly. Uh, when a business first starts, the owner is the one providing personal guarantees for all the loans. Right. At some point, that company would like to grow up and have its own credit. Aww. Right. It wants to be a real company. And, it, and then it doesn't rely on the owner's for its credit rating anymore. It relies on its own credit rating. But there's a transitional period in between between where a bank will take on the company based on the company's credit versus when it was privately owned. Okay. So these are not yet publicly traded companies. They're still private ownership. Uh, they are oftentimes you know, distributed ownership. There's still multiple shareholders and so forth. But the company is trying to become fully independent and you use something like a business development company that partners with banks and other lines of credit to provide financing to these companies so they can continue to grow. Well, and some of that is, again, understanding the banking backdrop, because from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, so, you know, banks can have so much cash on reserve, right, to do loans and other things. And that includes their home loans and mortgages and stuff like that. But, I mean, if you have a company that's growing and you want to borrow $30 million for expansion, one bank branch or bank location may not have the total amount of money that you need to borrow. So you go to yeah, it's, it's, some of these other kind of instruments looking for financing and funding. Yeah, it's it's less often about that. If you have a large bank, you're not the lending limits aren't based on per branch. 
right? I mean, they have banks have their own lending portfolio requirements, so they look at their total loans outstanding for the entire bank and for different regions, and they uh, they want to balance their risks across different types of loans. Right. Well, some right? of it's just that you don't want that one loan to be, well, you know, ninety percent of what you're loaning out. Yeah, you certainly you don't do that typically. It's way too concentrated. But the other issue is with business development companies. They're often working again with these companies that have slightly less traditional needs and so forth. So it requires more customized underwriting. And again, it's not necessarily personally guaranteed, but it's guaranteed by the assets of the business. And it's not bankable with traditional high quality credit yet. Right. So uh, it's it's complicated is what it it's, is. It's, it's a more complex environment. It requires very good underwriting. But when done well, they, they are higher margin loans is what it comes down to. But these are not traditional things i mean you would need to know somebody to kind of get into these instruments yeah, they're not, this they're is not, not traded something... on the public marketplace you know you can't just go out and, you and can, buy you a could buy, instrument. you could buy a business development company that has publicly traded stock and get the dividend for it but right. you're not going to participate in the credit spread that you're getting between the cost of lending and the price of borrowing am i totally going in the weeds on this one i just kind of wanted you, to you a are little bit. a little bit here what it here's here's what i essentially want to boil it down for our listeners though there are other ways to drive income mm -hmm. for investors that do not require traditional fixed income investments like bonds, like bonds okay or bank instruments like cds and savings accounts okay so so we're looking to save some money. So we're looking as you're for a looking for these other environments, here's one of the things that I realized, though, at, that I've had to really communicate with investors because a lot of folks. This is going to say this is not intended to be insulting, but it's very important to understand. Not everybody's ready to invest yet. True. Okay. The heart may be willing, but the right. checkbook may but, not. But people will come in and say, "All right, I want to get started. I want to do something here, and I want to, you know, here's my risk categories, and I want to get into these things." And you run into two issues. One you need to have a certain amount to even get started. Right. right. There are minimum contribution sizes to get started. And then two, there are liquidity issues. Okay. And what do you mean when you say liquidity issues? I mean that when you put the money in, you can't take it back out for a period of time. Okay. So bonds okay. are like that too though. Well, like bonds in are essence. like that, but bonds have a secondary market. Meaning that you could buy a bond and if you don't want it, you can find somebody else out there willing to buy it directly from you. Okay, so yeah, but, you can But kinda... when you are buying a package that's put together by a third party, they can set contractual rules that say you can buy it today, but you cannot liquidate it before this date. That's interesting. Okay. You cannot. Like it is illiquid. If you call and ask for the money, we are under zero contractual obligation to return it to you until after this date. Now, what would be the benefit of having it be a liquid for a certain period of time? So that is a that's a Great question, right? It's a really good question. What? I, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk specifically about why you as an investor don't want to ignore an illiquid investment necessarily. It may still be really good for you, but you got to buy it under the right circumstances. So we're going to cover some of that more when we come back, but we got to take a break. So stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Chuck. Got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. That break went by fast. It did, it did. Uh, and the good news is we only have one left for the show. Oh, yay. So, so we get to hang in there. Uh, 
And, you know, I was talking, like, so we left our Cape Crusaders in danger at the cliffhanger of what to do about a liquidity premium. Right. And why should you buy them? And those of you that are just turning in, you know, tuning Tuning. in right now, you're like, yeah. (laughs) So, illiquidity premium. This has to do with your, so you're investing. And you're not buying necessarily stocks or bonds, although they could be. But a really a good example, think about this kind of like real estate. Okay? okay. Real estate is sellable provided that you can find a buyer for it. Right? right. Direct transactions and so forth. So it's not a highly liquid transaction. Let's talk it, about like commercial real estate, right? Like a big shopping center. Yeah, shopping shopping mall. Okay, hard shopping to sell. Shopping mall. Yep. Hard to sell. Because you're either selling it to another conglomerate or a really high net worth person, right? So that's a complex transaction. So that's a fairly illiquid event. Right. It's not going to happen often. Right. Okay. Well, when it comes to illiquidity, here's the thing that's the trade-off. And think about, let's pretend, I want everybody to pretend that you are a professional investor. What does it mean to be a professional? Like, what are the it means qualifications? you're going to get paid to do it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're, okay. You're, no, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. You're going to we'll lose the show. We'll go down that rabbit hole. Sounds and we can't good. Get there. We'll talk about I just that want later. Everybody to picture themselves as if, hey, you just got hired by Goldman Sachs, and you're going to be given your own mutual fund. And here's the trick. Hey, all right, you're going to get this big pot of money, and you can go buy investments and pretend you know what you're doing, right? Uh, and you have to, you're going to be responsible to all these other people. But here's the catch these people can call you any day and ask for their money back. And you have to be able to have cash out and give them their money. Ugh. You have to give it to them the day they ask for it. And you never know when it's going to be. So, what are you going to do? Keep a lot of cash on hand just in case they call me. Well, you're going to keep a lot of cash or you're going to keep a lot of things that you can easily sell so that if you had to, you could sell them and then give them their money. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so that's what happens. Now, let's say that I change the rules. You still have this big pot of money and I say, all right, here's the deal. Uh, You still have to be able to give investors their money back, but they can only ask for it once a quarter. So every 90 days, they can ask for it. If they, they can ask any time they want, but you don't have to give it to them until once every 90 days. Okay. And you will never have to sell more than 20% of what you own. Ooh. Well, then it would change how I would invest the money. I would hope so, right? Because you know 80% of your money is something that you can invest and you don't have to worry about somebody coming to get it. So maybe now you can buy that shopping mall. Ah, oh, I see. Right? Okay. But if you have to always be able to cash, to out, cash out, shopping malls off the table. Yeah, because can't it's it. too. Yeah, it's like buying a house, right? Like right? you can't turn around and just sell a house in a day. Like it exactly. takes. It's a you, process. You you need to be able to liquidate to give investors their money back. Right. So there is a premium for being willing to trade off your liquidity. Okay. Right? So you should get paid more as an investor if you're willing to tie the money up for longer periods of time. We also see this in another very common space. Which space? The bond markets. Oh, yeah, because bonds are kind of like that. They're yeah, not... bonds are very much like that. Because if you buy a treasury today and then the interest rates change, your principal value is going to fluctuate. But if you don't have to sell it, then you can just ride it out until that bond matures and you get your money back. Right. And it, real estate's kind of similar, right? If you buy a house and the market tanks and you're willing to own that house for another 10 years until the market recovers, you don't. You don't really you don't lose really anything. lose the money because you didn't sell it. Right. So now 
you'd lost value on paper and you could certainly affect your opportunity set that's available to you and you can affect some of the there's other some flexi- side effects. there's some flexibility right. that you've given up but the predictability you're you, know, you get paid better so like you get paid more for having a long-term bond investment than you do for a short-term bond investment because you're tying your money yeah. up for five-year longer. cds pay more than savings accounts right because you're telling the bank hey you can have five years with my money and i won't take it yeah, and they're like, "Sweet, we'll pay you more for the pre- we'll pay you a better premium to do it." That's what that's that's what it comes down to. The illiquidity premium increases the investor's return. So, you need to look at that as part of the consideration here. Now, this is a really natural time to talk about how does one as an investor prepare for liquidity needs. Ooh. Okay. Now, okay. this Katie and I talked about this before we came here because we see two scenarios. They're both related. Yes. Okay. Scenario one is the person that comes in and they're just getting started with their investments. And they say, all right, I need to put, I want to put these investments to work here, but uh, I might need the money. So um, how do I get it back if I need it? And we go, okay. So then we have to look at more traditional instruments. Well, it, it definitely changes how you invest because you've immediately put criteria around it that said, I need to be able to get it immediately. So it's not long-term money. Even though you say, oh, I don't need it for 20 years, but I might need it tomorrow. Like, what? Yeah, like, that, that, that you, is you a total contradiction of terms. How is okay. yeah? How is that in the same sentence? Okay. And now here's another situation. Uh, you have, you're, you're in a job where you're self-employed and your income's really inconsistent. So you can have really big months where you earn a whole bunch of money and then you can go two or three months without making anything at all. Yep. Okay. So, and if you're on a commission-based job like real estate, that's, you understand you that. You totally comment. get this where we're to, what we're talking about, <laughs> right? And so, how do you handle these situations? Well, for those of you that listen regularly, you know that we are Dave Ramsey Smart Vesters, right? Katie, what is Dave Ramsey's claim to fame? The baby steps. Yeah, it's first. It's the debt-free scream, right? Well, get out of debt. So that's that's the mantra. <laughs> that's like, the byproduct. Debt, of debt the is baby dumb, steps. right? Get out of debt. Yeah, debt is but, dumb. Cash is king. But what is the 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 famous thing is the baby steps, right? And so baby step number one is to save an emergency fund, and this is kind of the oh no fund, right? Like the tire, I pop my tire and I need to replace the tires. And you know why I brought this up, everybody? If because you've not taken Financial Peace University, you should. Katie's teaching her first class. Okay, well, oh, well not, not my her first, first class. one. Ta- Katie's teaching the first class of the series tonight. for like the tenth time or something. <laughs> it's not quite that many, but it's a lot tonight. Yeah, tonight. So, yeah, uh, no, Katie's varsity when it comes to the Dave Ramsey. <laughs> program just so you know. I would like to think I am and it's really funny when you toot your own horn but no nope, she's varsity I, I don't even teach it Katie does in I, the office do. she is our financial peace university expert facilitator uh, and in fact she she is so uh varsity at this point that she's trained other trainers right so she has trained multiple people including Christine in our office as well yeah. she's been a facilitator that's right and it's it's nice to have them um, um to have everybody teaching these classes but a lot of it is that 
we as an office believe in the baby steps. And I'm going to quickly go through them, but we're going to get back to what David has been talking about this show. So step one is the $1,000 emergency fund, right? You got to start somewhere. You got to put something in savings. And like I said, this is to prevent you from going further into debt if an emergency rises. And like I said, new tires, right? You get a flat tire and all of a sudden you need to replace tires. It's usually hundreds of dollars to get new tires, right? depending on your vehicle. So that that $1,000 emergency fund or something breaks in your car yeah. keeps you from putting and- it all in a credit card and going further into debt. And an emergency fund is a fine name for it. It literally is like the, I need this now. Yeah. Right? Like something happens and you're about to swear and a few choice words are coming out of your mouth. That's what the emergency fund for. Maybe is you not, actually did swear. It could happen. Yeah. It is not for a new TV for Super Bowl. That is not an not emergency. Not an emergency. That's a want. Not, not a, a need. need. Right. Okay. So baby step two is pay off all of your consumer debt using the debt snowball, meaning pay off the smallest debt first and then start working up to your largest debt. Um, it's not always the financially quickest no, way to do it. It's but not it's, the most efficient way, but it's the way that keeps you on the wagon. Right. Because it's it emotionally does it for you, yeah, right? You, Getting those you need victories. Wins. You need a win as yeah. soon as possible. So yeah. pay, paying something off, that's a win. Right. So you can go get a second win now. Right. So number two, pay off all your debts. Number three is the save three to six months worth of expenses for emergencies. Um, and it's, I hate to call that the emergency fund also because it's not. Like this is your lifeline, right? Like this. Now, I know what this is called. I have a fun name for this, what? right? This is the I can afford to be an investor fund. Oh, see, I like that name better. Okay, okay, so baby step three is three to six months of expenses. Um, now, not and income. That, that can be, but expenses—they're not the same thing. Right. It's that is definitely true. But three to six months of expenses, and if I will also put little, like little star asterisk dot dot dot, is that if you have inconsistent income, it may be more than that. Especially if you're the sole breadwinner. It should be more on the six-month side and not on the three-month side if you have irregular income. Um, Because that is the money that will tie you over to also, again, make sure you don't accumulate more debt while you don't have an income coming in. So that, that might be... Um, you know, that becomes super important along with paying off all of your debt as well. Um, and then I'm going to go through steps four through seven kind of quickly so we can get back to baby step three. So baby step four is invest 15% of your household income into Roth IRAs and pre-tax, which is a traditional IRAs, 401ks, things like that. Retirement, retirement plans. plans. Retirement plans. Save for retirement. 15% of your income. Step five, save for your children's college fund if you have children and they plan to go to college, right? This is kind of an optional step. Um, depending on where you are in life. Baby step six is pay off your home early. And then baby step seven is build wealth and give. So let's go back to baby step three because that's what we were talking about, the illiquidity, um, about you were kind of mentioning interval funds, um, well, saving for I never used that term, but that's what we were sort of talking about uh, indirectly. Uh, so, I mean, why... We were talking earlier, so me personally, my husband sells real estate, right? And so we've balanced a budget a little bit differently because it's one thing when you have a steady paycheck and you know exactly what you're bringing in every month, it's very easy to budget, right? You just write down what you're bringing in and then try to make sure that you don't overspend, right? Spend less than you make. We've said that over and over on the show. But what happens when you don't have that regular income? How does that look? And that can be really tricky. So this is where having that three to six months in savings, you know, can supplement your income until you get another commission check. But the key on that is when you do get a commission check, you need to fill that pot back up first. 
before you start going to pay other things. Yeah. Because if you use it and then you get a commission check and you spend the commission check on something else, then it's a one-time use, right? That pot's not ever flowing. And, and that's something that needs to kind of always be there as your backup. It's, it's a funny thing that when you have a budget, you're supposed to actually use the budget. Yeah, like say, okay, so talking know, about allow it. Allow me to rephrase this. <laughs> if you have a budget, you're supposed to actually use the budget, right? It's, it's so novel to think like, wait a minute, I should actually know how the money flows through my life? Yes. Yes, uh, you should. And I will, a little piece of insight that uh, I remember, now years ago we had uh, a guest who I believe is a clinical psychologist mm -hmm. uh, on the program, Dr. John Gardine. Right. And John, we had a conversation with John about generational poverty in particular, but it was around goal setting and a number of other things. And one of the things he pointed out was that folks that come from a lot of poverty have a very interesting view of money that does not necessarily align with somebody that didn't come from generational poverty and they and it doesn't make sense you know we often assume that oh everybody thinks like i do so if i have an opinion like this why can't people get it i mean this is just clearly obvious and logical people should think exactly this way exactly where you're going with this and i know exactly what you're going to say about it and what i'm going to say all right so we'll see if you're right <laughs> um, what happens is people will say hey we just got a paycheck we better spend this real quickly or it's going to be gone no, well, they they spend it because they have it now, right? Like, well, and, like there's no there's no save for a rainy day. Yeah. It's like we're gonna spend it because we'll never see it again, so we might as well spend it now. Well, and that's isn't that the the irony of that and the sort of the self fulfilling prophecy is that if you get a paycheck and you quickly spend all of it because you're worried that it won't last, what you just did was you guaranteed that it won't last. Right. Right. And that is to the person that has grown up in a generational poverty environment that's normal thinking to them to a person who's a natural saver you're like that is the craziest thing i've ever heard <laughs> that by definition will prevent you from saving how can you not see that well i mean like you literally wring your hands at how obvious it should be but people just don't see it the same way and so you actually we use this conversation a lot right right you have to change your relationship with money yeah budgeting is part of that process it is discipline it is not any different than going to the gym and working out and training and eating to clean and all of those things. It requires specific intention. Which is part of the reason why Financial Peace University is nine weeks long. It gives you a chance over two months, two and a half months to create those habits. But uh, we, I think we need to take a break, don't we? Are we yeah. up against our right. break? So, so we're up against our final break. So we'll grab that one and we'll come back because there's a couple of other key points that I want to just bring out for folks. Uh, budgeting doesn't have to be the enemy. Uh, it, it can actually be you know, very useful for you. It doesn't have to be hard. So we'll give you a couple uh, quick cheats on that one as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Home, Home stretch. 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 I know. You got this. I got this. All right. So we were talking about baby step three, saving three to six months worth of an expenses to right. tie you over if you have a regular income. Because Katie is about to start. Financial Peace University. Yep, so. so if you are interested in joining me, I will be teaching it tonight, 6.30 p.m. at Family Church in Green. We are in the modular building. 
um, you're welcome to come to the first class for free. There are materials associated, which we can talk about that when you get there, but you don't have to sign up ahead of time. You are welcome just to come on in and you can crash the party. You can it's crash cool. the party and you can hang out and I will tell you all about the class and what we're doing. But um, it's an awesome program. And if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't facilitate it because, by the way, I am not compensated to teach the class by Ramsey Solutions or by Little John Financial Services. I do it as my own That's thing. true. This is like a, a total give back to the community. Yeah. And you know what? The, the Ramsey program, I, I've said this you know many times, it's not the only path, but it is a proven path. And the other thing is you may find, this is a funny thing to me, you may find that Dave Ramsey, he may be just grading as I'll get out to you on the radio. Like, like you just don't like the way he... He just cuts right to the chase, and there's because there are times he can seem like there's not a lot of compassion. I got to tell you, that is not the way it comes across at all in the classes. In the classes, he's you, funny. Mean, he's he's got a great sense of humor. Right. He's, there's there's a lot of charm. There's some real they get real stories where you go, wow. And the other thing is, a lot of this is stuff he's personally walked a mile through it. So. It's very relatable. In the snow, uphill both ways. Yes. Like it's a biscuit he's in one hand. Yeah. Through it. <laughs> so it's something that I I recommend. Now keep in mind as a financial pro, I mean, I've gone through a lot of these classes. So it's and I still take stuff away from it. I've been doing this for nearly twenty years. There's a little snippet. I kinda learn a little something new and it's not even learn maybe, but you know, at stif at different stages in your life you're ready for different information. Right? And there are layers to it. And the other thing is that as you learn more, then you get you start to get like a bigger picture. Yeah, it's like a how picture. it all the layers of, of sophistication make more sense. And right. all the, the puzzle pieces start to lock together a little bit better. And you realize that if you if you know, imagine a big ball as you know, wires knotted together, you pull on one and you see where it's coming out the other end. Right. Like you can't really tell at first, but then you get a sense of like, oh, wait a second, they are all connected in there. And by the way, this is something too, if you've taken Financial Peace University and you're kind of like, I want to refresh your course, it's been a few years, maybe you're at a different step in your life, take it again. If you already have the materials, you know, the class is free, um, just come and join because I, I kind of look at it, you know, like dieting and, and getting in shape, right? Like people, we talk about New Year's resolutions and getting in shape and losing weight and, and having good financial or having good health goals for yourself. These are good financial goals. And having that coaching system, having that accountability for nine weeks is something that's helpful to kind of get you back on track or make sure you stay laser focused when you're not feeling very motivated. So, um, you know, it's not always a one and done. And I think sometimes when you're in financial crisis mode, which is where a lot of people start with this program, they can't really get beyond the emergency fund and the budgeting, right? Like they're just struggling trying to get a hold of that at the moment. But, you know, cut away to two or three years later, maybe they have their debt almost paid off, their emergency funds going, they're starting to fund, you know, their fully funded emergency fund. Then they're a little bit more ready to start talking about college funding and mortgages and retirement plans. So, you're at a different stage in life to receive that different information. Um, and I think it's important to, you know, this isn't, like I said, a one and done. This is something that I've had people come in years later, or if you've taken the class, be an accountability partner for someone and bring them to the class. Um, and that's a trend now that I've taught it long enough that I've started to see um, is not only people from my church, but people from the community that said, hey, you know, I brought my sister. Um, I've had employers actually call me up and agree to pay for their employees to attend the class because they feel like if they're better with their finances, that they'll be a better employee. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to kind of see the ripple effect. And by the way, 
talk about it. You know, if you're in the class or you're trying to stick to a budget, share that with other people because that really helps. Just yep. having that accountability partner. Agreed. So I would say if you haven't tried it yet, show up to one of these things and bring a friend and then get through it together because uh, budget does not have to be a four-letter word. Okay? <laughs> and it's the first step. You really can't get into the investment step if you can't stabilize your finances first. So right. know that. Uh, and as always, if there is additional help or things we didn't get to on the program, give us a call. Katie, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. You heard it here first, but it won't be the last time. Thanks again. As always, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.